I want to brag on the Lord tonight, and really what I want to say to you is that God is all that you can imagine, you can describe, more than your vocabulary. You could exhaust every superlative in your vocabulary and not fully describe who God is. I have no intentions of exhausting who God is tonight. There's no way to do that. Just a drop in the bucket, but I, I want to turn our attention to him in Psalm 139. Robert Wells wrote a book entitled, Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? It's a children's book. It's a great question and a great thought. A blue whale's the largest mammal on the face of the earth. The flippers on the tail of a blue whale are larger than most animals. But uh, the answer to that question is the, the blue whale is not the largest thing. A blue whale isn't anywhere as big as a, as a mountain. You could put a hundred blue whales in a jar, if you could find that big a jar, and put a hundred blue whales in that jar and put a million jars inside Mount Everest. Blue whale is not big as a mountain. Mount Everest isn't nearly as big as the earth. Someone said if you stacked 100 Mount Everest on top of one another, it would just be a whisker on the face of the earth. But the earth isn't anywhere as big as the sun. You could fit a million earths inside the sun. But the sun isn't anywhere near as big as the red supergiant star called Antares. You could put 50 million of our suns inside the one red star, Antares. But Antares isn't anywhere as big as the Milky Way galaxy. Billions of stars like the superstar Antares are contained in the Milky Way galaxy. And yet the Milky Way galaxy isn't near as big as the universe. There are billions of galaxies like the Milky Way. And the mileage and the distance between the galaxies is so large that it cannot be recorded. It cannot be estimated. This is a huge universe. And what I want you to understand is this. God's bigger than all that. And so when we think about our issues in our life, we've all got them. We all come to, every one of us come to this service with baggage, struggles, battles going on. And tonight I'm not preaching down to anybody. I'm a fellow struggler on that road today. And while my battles may not be yours, and you may think mine are not even significant, we all come to this service with battles. I'm not talking to you as some kind of super spiritual that doesn't seem to understand or know. I'm not here to preach a prosperity gospel to you that I've, I'm sanctified and I live above all that. Certainly the Apostle Paul wasn't. He described the Christian life as warfare. He spent a lot of his time in prison. He spent a lot of his time in bondage. He didn't know much about the prosperity gospel that we're hearing so much about today, the health and wealth stuff. He struggled. He had issues. And, and I'm coming to you like that tonight. I want you to understand. 
Of all that I've said tonight, I still have not done justice to the greatness of God. Probably the, one of the most powerful preachers I ever heard in my life, I grew up in Memphis, was a preacher who pastored at Bellevue Baptist Church and his name was R.G. Lee. Dr. Lee preached many times in our church. He had a command of the English language like few men that I've ever heard preach. His adjectives and the string of adjectives that he used to describe every noun in his sermon was amazing. He preached back-to-back sermons in our church one year. He preached the first night on hell. He described it in a way, I have to tell you, I got thirsty. I'm telling you. The next night he preached on heaven. I've heard a lot of songs and a lot of preaching on heaven. I've never heard anything like that. It still impacts my life today. And he described heaven in a way that I've never heard it described before. They took that sermon and they put it in a book. I have it in my library. It's a powerful sermon. When Dr. Lee was dying, he he was in the Baptist Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. The only two people in the room was his head nurse, his nurse, personal nurse, and his daughter. He had not spoken for a couple of days. Then all of a sudden he woke up and he told his daughter who was at the foot of the bed, Honey, do you see them? They've come after me. And his nurse said, Let's give him something. He's hallucinating. His daughter said, No, he's not hallucinating. And the last words Dr. Lee said were these, Oh, honey, I didn't do it justice. Now if that sermon didn't do justice to heaven, I'm telling you, it's beyond description. I feel that way when I come to this text tonight as I think about the greatness and awesomeness of God. David tells us in Psalm 139 more about God than practically we're told anywhere else. And he describes this awesome God. Three things I want to, three nails I want us to hang our thoughts on tonight. Three thoughts. Number one, in thinking about God, In God's perception, he is omniscient. The word omniscient comes from two Latin words put together. Literally, it means to know all. It means all-knowing. Maybe you know a know-it-all. Maybe when I use the phrase know-it-all, there's a face that comes up on your personal computer. I mean, you can't tell them anything. They're, They're like a... They're like you were when you were a teenager. You know everything. I can remember sitting in chapel when I was a freshman at Blue Mountain College and I would hear these guys preach in chapel and I would think, man, that wasn't anything. They'd let me preach. I could straighten this whole thing out. (laughs) And now I'm an old man and an alumni. They invite me back and I preach in chapel. And I wonder if there's any of those guys sitting there thinking... (laughs) God knows everything. Don't wonder if there's anything about yourself God knows. God knows everything. About everyone. All the time. 1 John 3.20 says, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. I have a little plaque in my office with this saying on it. I think about it a good bit. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? You had things occur to you? 
I can remember studying math and all of a sudden, and you know, the teacher's been teaching it for days and everybody else has gotten it, but you hadn't gotten it. And all of a sudden you get a breakthrough. I remember when the breakthrough came for me, two plus two equals four. I remember the day I saw it. I, remember, I think I was in the seventh grade. I, I think it, <laughs> it finally came to me. Everybody else had it but me, but it occurred to me. Nothing occurs to God. Nothing surprises God. God makes no discoveries. We discover things that God already knows. We discover things that God has ordained or that God has known from the very beginning. Understand that God's knowledge is not just intellectual, it's personal. God knows everything, but hear me right here. God knows you. God knows you. So much of my prayer time is explaining things about myself to God. And what a waste of time is that? It's, it's more for me, I think, than it is for God. I'm not going to tell God anything about me he doesn't know. I might discover something about myself in prayer, but, but I, God makes no discoveries. He knows me. He knows you. Now, here's the frightening thing. God knows you better than you know you. And you know you better than anybody else. Heard about a small town prosecuting attorney that was trying a case. And his first witness that he called was an elderly lady in town that had always lived in that small town. And she happened to be the town gossip. So he put her on the, he put her on the stand and he, he thought he would just kind of break the ice a little bit. He asked her, uh, Miss Jones, do you know me? Do you know me? Miss Jones said, Mr. Smith, I, I know you. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. <laughs> he said, you lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you charge way too much money, and you don't have the brains to realize you're never going to mount anything but a two-bit paper pusher. Yeah, I know you. It just kind of took him back. <laughs> He looked over there and he said, well, do you, do, do you know the defense attorney? She said, yeah, I, I know Mr. Bradley. I've known him since he was a boy. He's always been a tremendous disappointment to me. He's lazy, has a drinking problem, cheated his way through law school, can't find any woman who'll marry him. He's the most crooked lawyer in the state. Yeah, I know him. And at that point, the judge brought his gavel down and called the, both the attorneys to the bench. He said, if you ask that lady, does she know me? I'll throw you both in jail. <laughs> he didn't want to hear it. God knows you. Don't wonder about it. There's no need pretending with God. There's no need giving my excuses to God about why I did this or reasoning or, or condoning the way I've done that sin in my life to God. There's no need in doing that because he knows not only what I've done, but he also knows my motive. God knows us. Psalm 139.1 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows our character. David was king. In that day, kings were also the judge and, and the jury for cases and things that had to be decided. And daily, many people came before King David. They had no idea what was in his heart. 
He was looking at their case, listening to their problems and trying to decide things. But nobody knew David's heart. But when David in this passage talks about the Lord, he knows that the Lord knows him and he knows that the Lord has searched him out. Down in the bottom of your heart right now are things that nobody around you knows about you. But God knows. He knows your things in your heart that are right and he knows the things in your heart that are wrong. He knows our character, but verse two says he knows our contemplations. Listen, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. I want to tell you something really scary. My thoughts are a flashing neon sign to God. Your thoughts are just unspoken words to God. He knows it all. And he looked at the deeds of the, Jesus looked at the deeds of the Pharisees and they were doing all the church stuff. They were praying. They were reading their scripture. They were giving their tithe. I mean, they, they, were, they were giving their money. They were doing all the stuff, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. And Jesus looked at them and said, your throat is an open sepulcher and I'm able to see why you're doing it and you're just praying to be seen of men. You just carry these big copies of the scripture. The Greek word is phylacteries. They carried these big copies of scripture, these big Bibles around so everybody would see their big Bibles. And they prayed on the street corner so people could see them. And it was all for show. Jesus condemned them for it. Why? I want you to understand there's a right way to do a right thing and there's a wrong way to do a right thing. I could, I could maybe preach a sermon to try to impress somebody. There's no reward in that. God's not in that. I could maybe sing a song to try to impress somebody, either to get low enough to make the speakers growl or get high enough to break the windows out just to show the folks what I would be able to do. God's not honored in that. You're honored in that. God doesn't get glory from that. You get glory from that. And so there's a right way to do a right thing. Can I tell you something? When you're in a service where people are singing for the glory of God and the preacher is preaching for the glory of God, something's going to happen in that service because God is getting the glory and he's getting the credit. He knows our contemplations. You can tell God a secret, but you can't keep anything secret from him. He knows our conduct. Listen to verse three. You comprehend my path and my lying down. God knows every place I go. God knows everything that I do and everything that I think or say while I'm there. Proverbs 15, three. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He knows our conduct. He knows our conversation. Listen to verse four. For there's not a word in my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it all together. Let me tell you something about God. He knows what I'm gonna say before I say it. He knows, and sometimes I don't even know what I'm gonna say. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> sometimes he came out and said, I didn't know I was gonna say that. He knows what I almost said. Did you ever almost say something? But you didn't say it. I had this guy in my community years ago. I was at a little country church and I 
trying to win this guy to the Lord. He was a fisherman. He loved to squirrel hunt and he loved to fish. And so when God put him on my heart so heavy, I said, well, I got to get Nate Denver comes to church. So I got I to get with him. And so I decided I'd ask him, would he take me fishing? And so he did. I heard he was a pretty, pretty good bass fisherman. He caught some big fish. So we go out to this little pond. I'm asking him instructions. How do you do this? And he's helping me along. And all of a sudden, he hooks one that the pole just about, I thought it was going to break. It just bent over, and the, the tip of the pole just about went in the water. Man, he starts the fight. I see the fire in his eyes, and he fights that fish. He gets that big bass right up to the edge. We both look at him. He's right on the edge of the boat, and he reaches over, and he's going to grab the mouth of this big bass. And just as he reaches for it, the big bass does this and just throws that lure. They had told me he had a filthy mouth. He looked at me. He just lost a huge fish. He looked at me and he said, Preacher, something ought to be said. <laughs> but he didn't say nothing. <laughs> but I guarantee you he thought something. You ever been there? I've been there. Man, I have thought stuff that I didn't say. Your wife comes in. She just got back from the beauty shop. Latest and greatest hairstyle. How's it look? I tell you, it's beyond description, hon. I don't have the words to tell you how that looks. Or a new dress or whatever. You better be careful. Just because you didn't say it to her doesn't mean that God doesn't know what was in your heart. Honestly, God knows everything. Everything about you. Psalm 139, verse 5 and 6. You've hedged me behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. God's mind blows mine. What God knows, what God sees, what God perceives, it's amazing. In his perception, he's omniscient. He knows it all. Secondly, in his presence, he's omnipresent. Listen to verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? One of the great philosophers I like to read after him, his name was Yogi Berra. Yogi said, I've noticed that everywhere I go, there I am. He's right. Everywhere you go, God is. What are you going to do this week? Well, I'm going to go to town. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go to Corinth. I'm going to go to Florence. I'm going to go. Did you ever think about this fact? God never has to go anywhere. God's there. Death can't take us from his presence. Psalm 139.8, If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. The message is, whether you're flying high or you're lying low, you can't get away from God. Romans 8, 38, neither death nor life can separate you from the love of God. Death does not separate you from God. Death hurts us. There's a, there is a sting about death. Personally, if a believer is experiencing death, there is no sting. 
We're in the presence of the Lord. But when you give up somebody close, it's a tough time. My mom and my dad, my mom died in my arms and my dad died two days later. I preached their funeral. We buried them in the same hole. My mom passed. I went across the room to tell my dad what, what had just happened. I said, Daddy, Mama's with Jesus. Within 30 minutes, they could not find the bottom of his blood pressure. He just started shutting down. He willed it to happen. It took him two days to die. They had talked to me about preaching the funeral. Each of them had no idea it was going to be the same day. As I stood in my church that day, my dad's casket on this side, my mama's on this side. I preached the funeral. God gave me grace. I know what it is to give up somebody close. But death may separate us from loved ones, but it does not separate us from God. And all the way through that, the grace of God was there. All the way through that, the grace of God sustained me and is still sustaining me today. And what I want you to understand is that while people may leave us, God never leaves us. And you never go a place that God is not already there. The reason that Paul took such comfort in the dungeon is because God was in that dungeon with Paul. The reason we can take comfort, and I want to be an encouragement to you tonight, I want you to understand something. You never go through anything all by yourself. You may be in a room where no other person is there, but God is there. You may be in a difficulty where nobody calls and nobody seems to care, but God cares and God is available. You don't face anything by yourself as a believer. Not one thing, not one moment. You can't go a place where God's not. There's so much in this passage of scripture. Death can't take you from his presence. Secondly, distance can't take you from his presence. Listen to verse nine and 10. He says, if I take the wings of the morning If I get up in the morning and I travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, just to get technical, if I get up in the morning, rise with the sun, I travel at 186,000 miles per second all day long, listen to what he says, and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, which was to the west, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If you fly in the air, God is soaring with you. I never get on a plane that I don't think about Psalm 104, verse three. He makes the clouds his chariot and he walks on the wings of the wind. Regardless of how far you go, regardless of how fast you go, when you get there, you'll find God waiting on you. Darkness can't take us from his presence. Listen to verse 11 and 12. He says, if I say the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. 
The darkness and the light are both alike to you. If you turn out the lights to God, it's still 12 o'clock noon. Nothing can hide you or take you from the presence of God. Listen to Jeremiah 23, verse 23 and 24. God says, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? Says the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. God is so high you can't get over him. God's so low, you can't get under him. God's so wide, you can't get around him. I tell you, you'll never go a moment, a place, a space, a location in your life. You'll never get in a valley in your life that God is not there. If you'll look around in that valley, you'll see that he's the lily of that valley. And somewhere in that valley you're walking on, you're gonna find the lily. He's there. You get on top of the mountain. Man, I like to be on the mountain. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather live on the mountain than in the valley, but I learn much more about God in the valley. I depend much more on God in the valley. Last uh, Wednesday night, I, we, while we're having a service, I, I, I teach through a book in the Bible. While we're having that service in the sanctuary, simultaneously the, the youth are having their knockdown, drag out worship service in the student building. And last Wednesday night, they invited me to come, this old guy, come put me on stage with our student pastor. And we just had a question and answer time. And he let the students for the previous two or three weeks have the questions. Ask the pastor anything you want to. Man, I got to tell you, preaching's a piece of cake, but now that scared the daylights out of me to, be, <laughs> to sit in front of those, those guys and let them ask anything. And so they ask anything and we talked about, I answered all the questions. We, 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 dealt, with, we dealt with all that. What a, what a powerful moment, what a powerful time that it was. God was there. He's an omnipresent God. In his perception, he's omniscient. In his presence, he's everywhere. Here's the last thing. In his power, he's omnipotent. This is really, all that's just been an introduction. This is really what I want to talk about tonight. He's an all-powerful God. Omnipotence means that God can do anything that does not contradict his word, that does not contradict his will and does not contradict his ways. You know, in this life, there are, there are a lot of stupid questions that people ask. Let me give you a stupid, unanswerable question. Can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Now, is that a stupid question or what? Now, God can do anything. Preacher, you said God could do anything. Maybe you got a stupid question. Don't ask me tonight. I really don't want to hear it. Omnipotence means that God can do anything. Titus 1.2 says God can't lie. James 1.13 says God cannot do wrong or tempt others to do wrong. But consistent with his character, God can do anything. Now it's interesting to me in Psalm 139, to prove and to illustrate God's power, David uses the human body. St. Augustine said people travel to wonder at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. When you look in the mirror this morning, when you looked in the mirror this afternoon, 
I want to tell you something. You are looking at a miracle from God. You are looking at something that this world cannot produce. More wondrous than the stars that twinkle is what you can see when you look in the mirror. Verse 13 says, For you formed me from my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And in the Hebrew language, the word you is emphatic. It's with emphasis. Here's what he's saying in that passage. You formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. David's saying, I'm not an accident. I'm a creation of God. I'm not a nameless bundle of tissue in the womb. I am a creation of God. Psalm 139, verse 15 and 16. Listen, he's getting ready to close. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. This phrase, skillfully wrought, in the Hebrew it describes the, the work of a craftsman, the work of an embroiderer, a weaver that forms a beautiful tapestry with precise workmanship. The point is that the human body is not an accident that was thrown together, but a miracle that was put together by God. You're somebody. You're somebody that God made. Let me tell you about this miraculous God and this miraculous creation. God created us and he, he created me and he created you and we, we are very different. Aren't you glad that you're different from me? Don't say amen if you hadn't said it all night. But I'm glad that I'm different from some people. And I'm sure they're, they're grateful for those same differences. I'm not in the business as pastor of the church I'm in trying to draw people that are just like me. I'm in the business of drawing people. Sometimes we get in the trap of wanting to attract people that are exactly like us. I can remember as a boy having, <clears throat> having a young man come in our church that never darkened the door of our church. He just slipped in and sat on the back. He didn't look like anybody that was in that church. He didn't have on double knit. And his t-shirt had a bad saying on it. And his hair was disheveled. You could tell. He, he just wasn't like anybody else that was there. I can remember some comments that were made by some of the Pharisees that were there that night who said, I'm glad we don't have that very often. <clears throat> Several years ago, and I, I didn't grow up in Corinth, and so I didn't know a, a, a lot about the, the, the history of Corinth. I didn't... I'd heard about Buford Pusser, but that was when I was growing up in Memphis and I just heard about some songs and some movies and I didn't know anything about him. But right out there in Corinth, Mississippi was a group of people that were around Buford Pusser and they were known as the State Line Gang and they all ran together. Several books been written about them. We had a young girl come to our church, a young lady. She was sitting in a class of discovering Oakland class that I was teaching. And she sat in that class and she spoke out and she said, my grandmother doesn't think you'll come to her house and see her. I said, well, just write down who your grandmother is and write down her address and this week I'll go see her. That's the only thing I asked. She did and I did. 
when I walked up to the door, this house, there were cameras outside. And I realized that I was on camera as I was knocking on the door. When I knocked on the door, I, I was going to introduce myself. And I said, call this lady's name. And I said, ma'am, my name is Randy Bostic. And I, she said, I know who you are. I was there last Sunday. You're the best blankety-blank preacher I ever heard. <laughs> I said, excuse me, ma'am, nobody's ever told me that. <laughs> and I went in and sat down. Her husband's sitting in one recliner. She was sitting in the other. And I was sitting in a chair in the middle. She said, uh, I was there Sunday, first time I've been in your church. She said, we talked a little bit and some niceties. And she used that same phrase over and over again, by the way. About 20 times while we were talking, it was a blankety-blank this, a blankety-blank that. I shared the Lord with them. She said, let me ask you something. If I get saved and join your church, do I have to wear a dress? She said, I've had polio and I, I don't do dresses. I said, no, ma'am, you won't have to wear a dress. She said, if I join your church, will I have to get down on my knees in front of everybody and say anything? And I don't know where she was getting this stuff. But I said, no, ma'am, you won't have to get down on your knees. She said, I can't, I can't kneel down. I can't get on my knees. I said, no, ma'am, you don't have to do that. She said, well, then, she said, I'm, I'm, I want to get saved. I said, okay, I'll take care of that today. Before I shared with her, I prayed with her. I, I looked at her husband in the other chair, and I said, called his name. And I said, sir, what about you? Here's what he said to me. Brother Andy, I've done lots of stuff. I said, I don't care what you've done. If you can trust Jesus, he'll save you today. So we prayed together. Man, they prayed glory down on me. And they just gave the best they knew how. They just gave their heart to Jesus. They said, okay, we want to be baptized. I said, okay. So then a couple of weeks, we baptized them both. The night we baptized them, we had five deputy sheriffs there. They just wanted to see if what they'd heard was real. They just came to watch. Sure enough. The week after they were baptized, I was walking down the sidewalk in Main Street in Corinth, and I passed a sweet little old lady walking with a cane. And she, when she got past me, she stopped and she said, Hey, are you that preacher? And I always hate that kind of stuff. I don't know, I don't know what they're going to say. I, I said, Ma'am, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. Who are you looking for? She said, are you that preacher at Oakland Baptist Church? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm one of them. And she called his name. He's with the Lord now. I'm going to call his name tonight. She said, are you that preacher? Did you let Junior Smith in your church? I said, yes, ma'am. Baptized him last Sunday night. She said, how could you let a guy like that in the church? He has stole from everybody. He's murdered people. He's known wide and near and far about all these things. How could you let a guy like that in the church? I'm going to tell you what I told her. I said, ma'am, that's who I'm after. That's exactly who I'm after. We were doing ministry in a little apartment complex a couple of weeks ago. Sharing the gospel, the gospel conversation with this young man. He had tattoos everywhere. 
He said, if I come to your church, can a guy that wears tattoos come to your church? I said, look over there. That guy's fixing to give his testimony to the microphone. Had tattoos all over his arm. I said, just listen to his testimony. Years ago, when I first came to the church I'm at, I had one of the old guard come up to me. We were about to go out on outreach and had one of the old guard in the church come up to me, set me up with this, said, Preacher, what if I knock on the door and a black man comes to the door and I share Jesus with him and he wants to get baptized and he wants to come to this church? What am I supposed to tell him? And I said, you tell him this. You tell him if he's not welcome, I'm not welcome. Isn't that, isn't that why we're here? I mean, have I missed something? Are we not here for people? Do we have to size them up? Do we have to measure them? Do they have to pass some kind of human test before they come to the Lord? I hope not. I never would have come. Skillfully raw. They're, they're in the image of God. Verse 14, I gotta hurry on. David says, I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. An all-knowing, all-powerful God has created me. Human body's an incredible, precise machine. If all your sensors are working in your body, Five things will be true about you. You can feel on your fingertips or face a pressure that depresses your skin. You can feel the touch four one hundred thousandths of an inch away. You can see a small candle flame from three miles away at night. Your eyes are the creation of God. You can smell one drop of perfume diffused through a three-room apartment. You can taste four one-hundredths of an ounce of table salt dissolved in 530 quarts of water. You can feel the weight of a bee's wing falling on your cheek from less than a half inch away. And then David tells me the most incredible thing of all about God. And I want to encourage you with this. It's why I chose this message. It's why I feel like God had me go here. What I want to share with you. Listen to verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts, capital Y, are your thoughts to me, God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. I want you to think about something with me tonight. The mighty, omnipotent, omnipresent God thinks about us. Did it ever cross your mind that you cross God's mind? Here's what David says about how often God thinks about him. How precious also are your thoughts to me. Here's how David describes it. When I count them, they're more in number than the sands of the sea. Now, here we sit tonight. We've got our own little struggles. That's how we began this journey tonight. 
We've got all the things that we're facing individually. And sometimes the devil tries to isolate us and get us on an island and have us to think we're the only one or the first one or the last one or nobody else understands what we're going through. I know you're going through a lot. I know you, you, you have burdens that you bear and cares that are on your heart. I understand that because that's what life, that's, that's, that happens in life. There's nothing unspiritual about that. But what I want you to understand is that you don't face that alone. The disciples were in a boat complaining that the storm was going on. They were complaining that, that Jesus had deserted them. And the whole time that they were complaining about it, Jesus was in the mountain praying for them. They just weren't aware of it. I want to make you aware of something. God thinks about you every day. You're on God's mind right now. Here's how he describes it. When I count the thoughts unto me, they're more in number than the sand. I wonder how many grains of sand are in one handful. Would you, would you surmise a guess? Would you say 1,000, 5,000? I wonder how many grains of sand would be in a shovel full. 20,000? I wonder how many grains of sand would be in a dump truck full. I wonder how many grains of sand there are on the bottom of the ocean. I wonder how many grains of sand there are in the Mojave Desert or the Sahara Desert. And here's what David said. God, you think about me more than the number of the grains of sand. My goodness. With God running this universe, how does he have time to do that? Because he's God. That's the God we serve. That's the God I walk through this life with. In my first little church, I, did, I didn't know, I think the Greek word, let me use a Greek word, I didn't know squat. <laughs> about nothing. Everything in that church was my first thing. I'm done after this. Everything in that church was my first thing. My first wedding was in that church. It was a mess. <laughs> I had everything written down, and on the way to the church, I realized I'd left my transcript at home. My wife said, stop, stop. I said, I think I, I, think I got it. <laughs> I did fine, except when we come to that point about getting his ring from her and her ring from him and all that was running through my mind. And I got the rings from him and I looked at him and I said, will you take her to be your lawfully wedded husband? <laughs> and he didn't answer. So I asked him again, will you take her to be your lawfully wedded husband? Finally, he gave up and said, I do. Man, her mother, she nailed me right after that. If Randy Boston, if they're not married, I'm going to send the law after you, blah, blah, blah. My first Lord's Supper. I didn't know anything about the Lord's Supper. So one of the deacons, I had five deacons. One of the deacons came up to me and said, let me take care of the Lord's Supper, preacher. You just worry about what to say. So I did exactly what he said. I was worried about what I was going to say. 
when I got up there to do it, it was a Lord's Supper table and the, the table was, you know, how, they, how we do it in tradition, it was covered and all that stuff. And I was just kind of talking. I had called my dad who was a pastor and said, what did I say at the Lord's Supper? He had told me I was saying it. So we get to that point, it's time to, after this is what it is and who takes it and all that. Then we uncover, when we uncovered it, I thought, man, that's, what is that? Has somebody been painting in here? What is that? That old deacon had gone to the sheriff in that dry county and he had brought some confiscated wine. He had, already, he had always wanted to use real wine in the Lord's house. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. I pass it out. I don't know what I'm doing. The phrase, drink ye all of it, took on a whole new meaning that night. The only drink my wife ever had was in church. She'll tell you that tonight. The only drink she's ever took in her life was in church. It was a mess. My first baptism was in that church. We didn't have a baptistry. We went out to Mr. O.C. Jarrett's Pond. There was about 10 or 12 of us out there. We walked out there in that. I'm a city kid too, by the way. I'd never done that. We walked out there in that lake holding hands. We looked like the Tarzan and elephants in the Tarzan movie. We, we walk out there in the middle of that pond and we stop. It gets about a little bit over waist high. They're singing, shall we gather at the river? The first one in line was a big, a 15-year-old, big old strapping, corn-fed country boy. And he looked at me in the second verse of shall we gather at the river? He said, preacher, I ain't said nothing, but I'm scared of water. I said, oh, brother, this ain't the time. Trust God. Trust God. When I took him under the water, his feet came straight up. And the only thing I could think of was my Bible teacher saying, you gotta have total immersion. So I just threw my leg over his and I rode him down in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What a mess that was. I'm telling you, I didn't know nothing about nothing. Everything in that first little church, everything was such a discouragement. I, I quit a hundred times. I wasn't there a year and a half. I quit a hundred times. Everything discouraged me. I didn't know how to handle, I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't know how to handle situations. I was green as a gourd. I, I found a box of outlines 10 years later that I had preached in that church. And when I went through those, I, I thought, did I preach this stuff? Did those poor people have to listen to this stuff? I'd go to the Lord before I'd preach. I'd say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I had four sermons when I went to that church. I'd preached revivals all over the country and I'd preached over and over them four sermons. I had them down. The third week I was there, I run out of stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. I said, Lord, what am I gonna do? The devil, in trying to discourage me, tried to convince me that I was in it by myself. And I found this verse. God, God took me to this verse, this, this one verse about how often God thinks about me. When you leave here tonight, you're not by yourself. You in a mess? I've been in a mess. You're not by yourself. You hurting? I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to grieve. I know what it is to lose the closest person to you. But you're 
but you're not by yourself. When the devil tells you you're the only one, you look at him and tell him he's a liar because God's in the room. God's in the room. Don't you ever forget it. The omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God is always in the room with you. And I want to tell you something. I have done it justice. God is all that and more. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.